Okay, wow. Hello? Hello? I hope there's somebody out there. This is the first episode of the Just Bloody Post-It podcast with me, Helen Perry. It's my job to help people share their shit boldly and brilliantly online. And this series is for every person. And there have been a few who've told me they worry about putting themselves out there, about how much to share, who don't want to appear to be promoting themselves or to come over too salesy, who are reluctant to be on camera or who aren't quite ready to start something new just yet because I found in the three years I've been running my Instagram and business that the answer is to just bloody post it. Put the imperfect out there and get on with something more important instead. Over the next few weeks and months, we're going to hear from some brilliant people who often actually feel those icky things too, but do it anyway. It literally changed overnight. I just thought this is just me messing around with secondhand clothes. I woke up the next morning and to answer your question, I found myself on the BBC homepage. I was on there between the Pope and Angela Merkel. I'm so excited for you to hear from my first guest, Caroline Jones, or you might know her as Knickers Model's Own. Caroline's a stylist, a second-hand clothes and slow fashion enthusiast, the author of a book, Knickers Model's Own, A Year of Frugal Fashion. She didn't plan to write a book. I don't think Caroline will mind me saying she didn't plan any of this, really. On the 1st of January 2015, just after she'd lost her mum, Caroline started a project to photograph and post an outfit every single day for a year to raise the modest target of £100 for Cancer Research UK. Within a week, the project had gone viral and her Facebook page alone had attracted 97,000 visitors. She went on to appear in The Guardian, on BBC News and, imagine, loose women. In our conversation, I ask her what it's like to suddenly find yourself so visible online. We chat about ideas, about giving more to your audience or followers and... I'll let you listen to the end to find out what Caroline's unexpected hobby is. Your Instagram account is called Knickers Models Own. Your book is called Knickers Models Own. What does that mean? So there's a Knickers theme there. You might have picked that up. Yes. Um, well, I think we. I really need to, I suppose, take the listener and take you back to the beginnings. When did that word sort of come into my world? And it was at the end of 2014. Um, I, sadly, my mum died from breast cancer in October 2014. My mum was called Mary. And uh, Christmas was very difficult and particularly New Year's Eve. Although I've never been a New Year's Eve big fan, but I found myself just celebrating the next year the welcoming in 2015 but thinking right I I really do have to stop crying so much because that's not what my mum would have wanted so I decided on the spur of the moment Helen there was no strategy no thinking about this no forward planning at all this is about half an hour before midnight that I would fundraise for Cancer Research UK and that was because my mum had been a, a lifelong volunteer at my local shop and that I felt I needed to do something positive. So I was, like everything I throw myself at, 
it's always about the visual. It's always about the name. What's the hook? Not about the strategy or the planning and, you know, uh, a SWOT analysis and looking at the external factors. I didn't do any of that. I just had this drive in me to come up with something life-affirming, fun, um, just a bit of tongue-in-cheek. And looking through, I think I was flicking through Vogue just for inspiration for the name. I thought, I need a name. I can't just use my own name. This is just not going to work. So I flicked through and I saw a photograph of David Beckham uh, modelling a suit, I think, and it referred to his shoes and his watch as his own. And I thought, I quite like that. You know, not everything's going to be my, not everything I wear, by the way, I was going to, I decided I was going to dress wearing secondhand clothes for a year, a different outfit every day for a year. And I thought, I need a hook. And I just came up with the idea of my knickers would always be the the constant. They would always be my own. I would I really wouldn't wear secondhand knickers. And I like the idea of it being quite tongue-in-cheek, quite naughty, but very sort of slightly British humour. And I also knew from a very, you know, if you put your my marketing head on, I knew that three words, including the word knickers, was catchy. There was something about threes, and there's certainly something about catching agitating the, the the media making something stand out I didn't overthink that I just knew it fleetingly when I was having all these thoughts so I just came up with the name Knickers Model Zone and from day one it was always I was always talking about it and I did worry at the very beginning that I might attract a different audience <laughs> um, and I, do you know what I never have I, I really haven't had very many weirdos messaging me about knickers thankfully touching something wood here um and it it just I suppose it it tells the audience what it is what the campaign is and they got it everybody seemed to get it I didn't have to expand on it certainly it stops a conversation when you hear the word knickers and then it brings you know takes you down to explaining what it is and yeah, and, and Knickers Model Zone began um, on the 1st of January 2015. And I started posting my content from that moment every single day without a plan, without a direction, just thinking this is just going to be a bit of fun and we'll see where it goes. So every single day you had a new outfit entirely secondhand apart from your pants and you posted that to your socials were you somebody who had been posting outfits to Facebook Instagram Twitter wherever or was that a completely new thing completely and utterly new completely new I'd always loved social I I came from Twitter um, which sounds a bit of a shock really because I think Twitter nowadays has the impact of dividing and polarizing opinion but when I first joined Twitter which was back in 2007 it was just this fantastic fun warm place to be follow Fridays were great you know you'd nominate five people you thought were creative it was a very creative space so Twitter was where I landed I really didn't want to be on Facebook. I'm not I'm not somebody that posts my private world on Facebook particularly. So of the three channels that I chose, I I thought, "Oh, Facebook, I don't really want to be on there, but I knew that I had to be on there." And now interestingly, I have the largest audience on Facebook and I have a very warm 
community and very loyal and very kind and the content I write and feed into Facebook is different to Twitter and that's different to Instagram so I I really think it's important that you that you, you, that you adapt your content for your audience. Facebook gets a, a bad rap it's not it's not the cool place to hang out but you know nearly everybody we know is still there aren't they? They are and I, I have conversations it's surprising though, I have conversations with brands high street brands and they go oh, really? You're on Facebook? You know, is that is that the place to be? And I, yeah, it is. That's why newsletters are popular. That's why people, people like a space to have a longer conversation. My audience is female. It's Facebook uh, in particular, it's, it's approximately 35 to 65, 70 audience that they, they welcome that longer conversation. They like the art, they like the visuals, but they really want to engage. Instagram, my audience is totally different, broad spread, you know, from age, I don't know, 13 to 80, uh, entirely different audience. They're very visual. They just want that impactful content. Um, sometimes I don't need to write much. Sometimes it might be just a punchy sentence. I don't overthink it either, really. Yeah, so I think you need to, I need, I understood very quickly that my content had to be different for those channels. So do you have a very willing Instagram, Facebook husband? How did you generate all these photos, <laughs> Caroline, of an outfit and a photo every single day? That's tons of content. How is, yeah. how is this happening? How is this working in practice? Okay, well, so my 2015 year, as I said, that was every single day. And there wasn't a day where I thoughts right I won't do anything today and I didn't I didn't take pictures ahead of the day I, I wasn't taking a bank of photos at the very very beginning it was school holidays it was Christmas so it was easy I've just got my kids to take pictures and I've got two girls and a boy um and at that point my eldest daughter was you know she's great a young teenager so she was really into it she'd take my picture all was well and then really honestly I mean this is how dumb I was just the penny dropped I thought right who's going to take my picture when they go back to school what how is that going to work and by the way I've already raised 50 pounds and um I've got no plan I have literally got no plan what and I've said it's for a year how on earth is this going to happen so Helen I had that thought and I ended up with my iPhone 6 over 50% of the photos you see in that year were taken by strangers, complete strangers. And I had this patter that I'd approach people in the streets with my outfit on, looking a bit bizarre in you know, my local high street. I'd have some sort of crazy combo on, full makeup, heels, ankle socks. And I'd just say, you know, whoever it was, a hairdresser or a, a builder, hello, look, I'm really sorry to bother you, but can you just take my picture? Please don't run off with my phone. I'll tell you about it in a minute. It's a campaign I'm doing. And occasionally I'd mention Knickers Model Zone and you just see them <laughs> spinning in thought. <laughs> what did she just say? Yeah, But I, you know what I learned very quickly was the technique of taking a, a successful picture. Go on then, and share that. Because I did so, wonder, did you, did you know how to stand? Did you know how to pose? Did you know the light? Uh, not at the beginning. I was, I would literally stand like a, just like a idiot against the wall. I wasn't aware of anything. I hated it. I thought, I don't know why I'm doing this. But I quickly learned because I could, I could see 
the difference between a good picture and a, and a bad picture. So I can see that because I'm visual and, and I appreciate good pictures and I can see when the picture's right and when the picture's not. So I became, quite frankly, and I still am obsessed with daylight, natural light. I don't use any apps. I don't use any filters on my pictures. I've never have done other than maybe just a light in the picture if it was a particularly dark, like three o'clock on a winter's afternoon. So light is incredibly important. Um, and then I realized that the, the height of me versus the height of the photographer, if there's a difference, you're going to get a different type of perspective. So someone who's taller than me will be looking effectively down at me. And someone who's much shorter than me, like one of my children at the time, they would be obviously making me look taller and making my feet look bigger, my head look smaller. So there's that understanding that composition as well as your backdrop. So I am equally obsessed with my backdrops and I'm talking about the texture of the wall, the color combinations. I, you know, I, I don't go out to be like this, but I, I'm obsessed with it. I think that could be the word. Um, and I will reject backdrops and keep going until I find the right one. So, like, you know, if you're with me and I'm asking you to take my picture, it, it can be <laughs> tense. <laughs> I'm laughing because, it, you know, so many times I've, I've, um, I've, we've started taking a picture and I go, no, it's just not working. This blue, this blue garage door is just not working. Your photos are fantastic, as are your outfits. And I, Caroline, I'm not a fashion person. That's not the kind of content I follow on Instagram, but I've followed you certainly for the past three plus years because it's just completely different. There's no Instagram outfits in there. There's no Insta dresses of the moment. There's no, it's not trend led in any way. Do you ever feel under pressure to create something on trend? Oh, Joe, that is such a great question. I've never been asked that question before, Helen, and I'm really glad you've raised that because I don't describe myself as fashionable. I don't even know what that means. I'm interested in fashion and I'm more interested in styling. So styling for me comes through in all areas of my life, my home environment, the way I like to do my makeup, um, music I listen to, it all filters in and it creates a style that I feel represents who I am. So I'm now old enough, I'm 52, so I'm now old enough to know what those trends were that worked when I was in my teens and all the way through. And I can cherry pick, so I can mix stuff up. You can mix the 80s, you can mix in, you know, 60s stuff, you can do your makeup differently. So I cherry pick and I love that. Um, I also have always like to be different and like to be uniquely me I don't have the same enjoyment of wearing the same thing that everyone else is wearing I would I would try and style it differently as as immediately and it gives you that freedom actually when you're not completely dominated by what's in fashion you you can go anywhere you like but I've also noticed in the press um recently I think uh, one of the fashion journalists was writing about, you know, is this the end of trends? Will we be go? Are we going into another direction now? So that will be interesting. But when you when you're no longer dread, um, led by trends, it gives you enormous freedom. Are they talking about the pandemic? Because it's just shifted the the. I guess it's shifted the punctuation of the fashion 
business they're not yeah they can't, uh, definitely they think. can't put their collections out when they normally would have done we're all in our tracky bottoms is that is that what they're referring to I think they probably are I think they realize that they've got to come up with another spin on stuff so maybe we'll be coming up maybe they'll be just like a, a, an annual collection of of their clothes and it'll yeah I mean frankly there are two that we are just awash with clothes as a, as a society so you know, why re- why keep why keep reinventing stuff? I just don't get that. Going back to that year, the Nickers Models own year, you've mm. described it as one continuous panic. You didn't think it through before you started it. Then once you started it, you thought, bloody hell, 365 days, 365 outfits. Talk me through the continuous panic feeling. Well, well, first of all, you don't have time to tell anybody or to even think about the fact you are panicking because you're panicking. So you, you don't have time to think, I'll take a day off to just to decompress and, you know, like you would normally. You'd think, right, this is a bit too much. I'll just go for a walk. I'll just think it through. So it was a constant treadmill. And it was like that gerbil on the wheel. I couldn't step off. And the interest in the idea happened so quickly that I just wasn't prepared for it. In fact, I don't think you can be prepared for press interest any at any point. How did people start to hear about what you were doing? Because I definitely read about you and your project in the press before I saw it on my social media. Mm, yeah. yeah. If you think back to the 1st of January, I took one really awful, well, my friend took a picture of me. It was just diabolical, but it was what it was. Uh, you know, he wasn't the way he'd taken the picture. It was just me standing there. And then by day five, I'd take, I'd got five photographs. I posted them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'd got about 50 pounds that had come in. I think my target was a hundred uh, on just giving. And 10 of my friends was messaging me saying, oh, this is really good. Well done. <laughs> um, you're not really going to do this for a year. This is just, you know, and even in my mind, Helen, I thought, I'll, I'll just go and change the just giving bit and I'll just put 30 days or even 20 days. But it literally changed overnight because I had, um, through Facebook, a journalist from the BBC contacted me. She was working for three counties radio and I think it's East BBC BBC East and she contacted me through Facebook and she said I've seen you on Facebook I'd love to interview you about your campaign and I said I I really don't know what you're talking about I don't have a what campaign what you what what is this and she told me she could see what I couldn't see which was the direction it was going to end up in she said you're going to appeal to anybody touched by loss and by cancer and that whole community you're going to you're going to attract the attention of people interested in the green agenda and you're also going to be talking to people who are interested in fashion pure and simple and she had to spell that out to me I couldn't see that myself I just thought this is just me messing around with secondhand clothes when she said that when she wrote the article I thought that's wonderful. My goodness me, how exciting to be on on the local, um, you know, be locally interviewed. I woke up the next morning, and to answer your question, I found myself on the BBC homepage. The, you know, those like t- ten most looked at articles. I was on there between the Pope and Angela Merkel. Before the end of January, this is. 
Yes, the first week. The first week. The first week. And it was a picture of me that one of my children had taken. I think I was on, we were on the way to go and see Paddington, the film, the first film. And I just had this purple cardigan and I stretched my arms out and it was a yellow background. And it looked, it was a good contrast color, two of my key colors. And that was the image I woke up to, to see myself on the BBC homepage. And then the Mail Online, um, you know, whatever you think, they have an enormous traction. So the combination of BBC and the Mail Online took, drove my audience figures from a paltry, you know, 20 people on Facebook. 97,000 people went to Facebook that week to look at my Facebook page. Wow. How does it feel to suddenly be that visible for somebody who's not used to putting themselves out there? Awful. It's just, um, you are unprepared for it. And you, you, of course, it's fantastic. Of course, you're saying it is fantastic. My Just Giving page is hot. The money is coming in. This is ridiculous. I've taken five photographs. How, how on earth is this how on earth is this having um, resonance? Why are people attracted to this? What is it? But of course, I wasn't ready for it at all. I wasn't prepared in any way. I had no, at that point, I hadn't even told Cancer Research UK that I was doing this. So they didn't even, they didn't even know that I was on the homepage of the BBC website or on the mail online. It was enormous. It was just overwhelming at the very beginning. Um, and where do you go from there, Helen? Once you've been on the BBC, what, you know, where do you go from there? Because that is such a high-profile position, place to be on from a from a search engine. And you were perspective. And you were deeply committed at that point, weren't you? Everybody's seen, <laughs> everybody's seen it. You're like, this is it That's now. It. You know, I can't, ch- I can't change the parameters. I can't make it just a month. It's you. I'm in it. it. I'm in it. And and I was told that. I remember my husband saying to me, "You, this is it. You're in it. You, you you've just got to get on with it." There was there was a moment where I wanted just to hide in my wardrobe and just say. Can I give all the money back? Can can we can we just this this needs to stop? But I didn't, and I carried on. And I'm I think one of the things I'm most proud about in myself in my character is this resilience that I discovered about myself, the ability to just carry on. And I didn't think I had that in me. I always thought, well, I'm creative. You know, I hop on and I hop off an idea and I move on. Um, don't need to see things through to, to complete, you know, I'm not a complete finisher. And I had to with this and I had to deliver. I, there was no other option. Uh, at the, in, in my parallel world, I was grieving as well. I mean, that was the very, a very, very difficult year because you're having to sort of compartmentalize your grief because you're doing something public as well. And every photo, even now when I look back through my book, I can remember my emotions on every single occasion. Um, it's, it's a very powerful thing, having, seeing a photograph of yourself every single day does take you back to that moment without doubt. It's so interesting what you say about being able to change the narrative about yourself, what you believe to be true about yourself when, mm. you know, when you come, you know, find yourself in a, in a different situation. So you just started this thing. You didn't really put very much thought into it. You, you had to keep going when the yeah. spotlight fell. And what kind of opportunities 
did it then bring your way? Well, honestly, um, all the broadsheets. So I had very, very early on, I gave an interview to The Guardian. Um, By this point, I'd connected with the charity and I was given a press, uh, a PR team point of contact who was wonderful and really understood, got to understand me and was very sensitive around who who she felt should hear the story and who should be who should interview me so i would say to anybody campaigning that gets into that spotlight you know you do need this you need the support of somebody because you can't my natural instinct is just to accept every single invitation and talk to everybody but sometimes you do need to just take a step back and think why am i doing this what's that going to achieve and so I gave a lot of interviews, but I was very pleased to give an interview to The Guardian very early on. They came to my house and uh, Paula Kokosa, who's an amazing journalist, interviewed me. And again, Helen, I, this is how, honestly, I just didn't think too much of it. I thought it might be just a small article somewhere in the weekend section. I went to pick the paper up a few weeks later when I knew it had gone to press. And it was on the front page of the weekend section, the broadsheet size paper. Um, I remember being below Marco Pierre White's face, which I thought was lovely. He <laughs> was just at the top. And they'd even, they'd even changed the banner colour to match my trainers, which I really appreciated. I thought that was lovely. And then I turned the page open and I was on the inside of that as well. I mean, it was just, this is just bizarre. And that was a very difficult interview to give. That was where I really opened up about my love of my mum and the affection I had for her and the and grief and it was just an outpouring it wasn't about fashion really um, so I found that very difficult Do you feel proud, Caroline, looking back? I do. I am immensely proud of myself. But I think that has taken me five years to, even now, you know, even now I I look at the book and my profile on Instagram and, you know, if I type my name into the search engine, Nick as Model Zone, it's it's full of content. It um, It was a year where I couldn't reflect on what I what I was doing. I mean, I was on Loose Women. I went on the one show. I won Creative Fundraiser of the Year from Just Giving. I won an award from the Prime Minister. Um, I, I was on Radio 1, Radio 5, uh, Telegraph, Times, um, Observer. How far did you smash through that £100 target? Well, I raised in the end £70,000 for the campaign, uh, which was amazing that was in 2015 and I am so grateful to every single person that donated most of whom I never met I will never meet and I just think that's that is incredible to think that people would donate to something that you know that even not not even in the UK people from all over the world were people were donating they were also donating for a second and a third time and something I've I talk about and I, I share with anybody that's fundraising is you do you need to have that it's a two-way thing. You need to give something in return. So they were getting a daily fix of my fashion. 
and in return they were donating and and I think that was it's a really good tool to think about if you are ever doing something like that is just to keep feeding content because it's so addictive you know people want to go back and what's she wearing today and what's the what's you know what's the um the color theme and you said it was kind of a marketing idea when you had the idea when you called it knickers models own you knew it was going to have yeah. traction even if you could never have predicted the kind of traction you were going yeah. to get I did know that and I I that that is something I'm fascinated about you know with that whole idea of organically creating something and then it just growing it was just the spark it struck a chord with so many people as that journalist Katie Lewis told me very very early on these this is your audience so because she told me that I was able to fine and finesse my content quite quickly I knew that it was important to talk about grief I knew it was important to talk about sustainable fashion it wasn't even called sustainable fashion back then nobody was having any conversation no journalist was really talking to me about sustainability climate change circular economy they, they that was completely not the language they were using they were just talking about what does it feel like wearing secondhand clothes and then people who are just into fashion not just into fashion people who are into fashion particularly women my age I think I was always thinking about them I I, I dress for my age and for my age group I'm not not really trying to talk to a younger generation about my style Um, I take inspiration from what they wear and how they style but you know I was so I suppose I knew all of that but um, it was always in the back of my head because at the front of my head was I've got to get this content done today. I've got to find a photographer, Helen, who's taking my picture today. How's that working? You know, if you just walk up to someone and ask them to do something for you, they normally will say yes, I think. So kind, so, so kind. And, you know, I always name checked them. They were always willing to give me their name, their full name. I would always put their name on the, you know, photo thanks to. Um, they were always interested. Nobody said to me, no way am I taking a picture, weirdo. No, nobody said, no, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with this. Nobody ran off with my phone. I have enormous trust. It, it taught me so much about human kindness. And it, the book as well. I mean, the book was just a, an amazing collaboration. And again, that was kindness magnified because Rankin, took my portrait for my for the book cover and the, the sleeve his team were wonderful and he was just incredibly generous and did put me at ease which is the art of a photographer isn't it it's just it is you've got to be able to do that you've got to be able to get the best from the person you're taking a picture of um and yeah I I was I am beyond grateful because he he was so generous with his time and contributing to the book the the project um, was was amazing and I still pinch myself. I've got a I've got a signed a signed picture of um, the book cover which he which he gave me and it's up on my wall here. Um, I look at that every day and I can't I, I literally cannot believe it. It is about kindness and I recognise that in in myself now that I w- willingly want to help other people because I think you you know why wouldn't I share what I've learned and I think we could do well to remember that when we worry about putting ourselves out there in general online in real life starting something new like actually most people are rooting for us and most people want to yeah. see it 
it work uh, and they're not waiting for you to get something wrong or misstep they're not even noticing actually when things don't go perfectly no there's no such thing as perfect what the heck is that and and uh, you know I I was putting content out there every single day now I don't do that I'm I'm the opposite you know and now I define myself literally by the word slow I am slow in everything I do now and that is that is my chosen speed to work at because I've been working at I worked at such a pace I needed to take time off I couldn't sustain that and I'm very aware actually of people who are posting content every single day diligently I'm very tuned in I read I read it people write it don't they they're having a bad moment they're having a wobble um and it is important that you recognize that you don't have to do it you don't have to be on this you don't have to post stuff. You can. There, no one's going to tell you off. You can just take a moment back, and that—that's what I've had to learn. I've had to recondition myself and learn that—that—that um, that I, that I don't have to perform. I don't have to put content out there. That nothing's going to go wrong. No, it's so very true. People aren't going to vanish. I was having this conversation with a friend the other day who'd needed to take six months back to sort herself out around something and during that time thought is is anybody going to be there when I go back and of course you switch it back on and they all are there and you're still you're still you still have this very same value that you had when you stopped or when you took the week off or you know you can still bring the same value that you mentioned when you were sharing your outfits and that you don't lose that by having a few quiet days, weeks or not at all. No, not at all. I I had to say, though, I found it very difficult to step off that because I was running on a on a daily hourly, you know, I was I was replying to content all the time. I, I was always brought up to reply to things and be polite. So I replied to everything. You know, I'm sorry if I missed any content, but I feel like I responded to every single message across my platforms every single day. And now when you step away from that, when you, you think, right, that campaign's finished, I can breathe again. But I had this audience still going, where are you now? What are you doing? What, we, we, you know, are you going to stop? We, we, we don't want you to stop. We want you to keep going. So I had to redefine my parameters. And what does that look like now? As I said, I think that's taken me five years. And that, that just sounds ridiculous, I think, when I, when I, when I articulate it. But it's, it, it, I just couldn't slow down immediately I, I started writing my book in February and I finished at the end of March so I had six weeks to write that book that just was another very highly pressured project which I'm incredibly proud of but you know it, it just meant that I was constantly running constantly on a, on a time scale pressure and then I then I actually didn't know whether I would ever be able to go and buy clothes that were new I, I, I honestly did struggle with that you know, what will my audience think if I decide to buy something new? Isn't that contradicting everything I've been saying? And so that took a long time to get my head around and, and to and to over worry and, oh, you know, question things. And now I've, I suppose it's just set me up for the tools of being public and whatever you put out there, it's about being authentic, kind, considered, and people see through if you're trying to push something you know without being very open so I I just I just do things at my own pace now and I'm much more content part of your slow schedule now is 
bird watching. <laughs> Am I right? Yes. Why the is little bird tell you that? <laughs> why is this not on your Instagram, Caroline? Yes. <laughs> I know. I'm. Oh gosh. Well, I've always loved bird watching from a very young age, and was given my first bird book, the complete book of birds, when I was about seven, and I would sketch them because. I didn't really know the other than looking at sparrows outside the, the garden because sparrows there were always huge numbers of sparrows in the seventies. Other than that, I wouldn't really see anything, and I'd just sketch the pictures I'd see in the book because that's the, that's what I enjoyed drawing and colouring. And then um, during the first lockdown, I bought myself a bird feeder, a proper bird feeding station from RSPB, and it is just the most amazing pleasure that I get every single morning, all day. They're feeding all day, but I get up an hour earlier every morning and I will go and sit with a coffee, with my bird book, with my binoculars, and just look out the window. I love it so much, and I'm not an expert, but I'm learning and I read, I cross reference and think, what's that bird? And then I look that up. And the internet's a great place for brown bird, not sure. And then you get all these other different brown birds popping up. Or I, I, It just is a very soothing thing to do. And all year round, I, everything. Today I saw a, spot, uh, a lesser spotted woodpecker. I mean, that's just incredible to see that in the garden so close up. I would devour your bird watching content, Caroline, but perhaps that's not the point of your bird watching time <laughs> to be putting it on Instagram stories. However, I've loved learning about it. You never know the half of what's going on in people's lives when you follow them on social media and all the different parts of their personality and the things that they're interested in. Thank you so much. It's been uh, an absolutely delightful conversation and great to just travel back in time with you. That's a pleasure. I love chatting. What I loved about what Caroline had to say is first that we are often not the best judge of our own ideas. Well done to Casey from BBC News for spotting that Caroline had had a golden one. That Facebook ain't dead people, even though it's not where the cool kids hang out. It could be where your gang is. Give Facebook a chance that you need to give on social whatever you're looking to get back, whether it's raising money for charity or building a client base for your business, it's a two-way thing. Just taking will never work. And that sometimes we're working fast, pushing out content every day. And there's no better way to learn your craft actually, but also we can work slow and that works too. Thank you so much for listening. I think this is the part where I ask you to leave a review if you've enjoyed this podcast because it helps other people to find it. And if you want to make sure that you don't miss a single episode, then click subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on. I'll see you next time. Bye.